Welcome to Cream, Eggs and Jam. A podcast for food nerds with show and tell by Elise Bullbrook and Scott Bagnell. We love to cook with cream, eggs and jam and learn from food people who give a damn. So join us each week for thoughts, tips and tricks with guests, recipes and more in the mix. Woo, Scotty, episode three. We made it to episode three. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. Super excited to be here again this week. You're listening to Cream Eggs and Jam, and my name is Elise Poolbrook. And my name is Scott Bagnell, and today I'm coming to you from Yuggera country. And I'm coming to you from Wurundjeri country. We would like to start this week by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we are recording this podcast and pay our respect to elders past, present and emerging. Amazing. So last week we, uh, we aimed pretty high, I think. We went to French cuisine. We, uh, we attempted to get to Paris, but that didn't happen. Um, so I think this week, maybe we need to pull it back a bit. Maybe we need to pull back <laughs> to basics. I think French cuisine, it was, it was such an interesting conversation and rabbit hole to go mm. down, but it's so complex. Yes, yes, absolutely. I loved the conversation. I learned so much going down that rabbit hole last week, Scotty. Uh, the acquisition of cookbooks was also an aid to that particular oh, yes. increase in knowledge. So. <laughs> So Let me jealous. Tell you, there's, a, there's a little bit of an obsession going on right now with French cuisine and I'm hungry to eat at Francois. Um, Ooh, so yeah. for those of you who don't know, Scotty and I will be catering a wedding next week. <laughs> That's <laughs> um, a thing we're doing. <laughs> it's a thing that we're doing. It's the business we're in now. <laughs> um, uh, it's the second wedding we've catered this year. <laughs> who knew yes. this would be our life? Um, but it is. And... Um, I'm hoping that we can eat at Francois together next week. So the uh, the French cuisine uh, mm. obsession continues. Uh, however, oh for this week, yes, pairing it back to basics. And today we'll be discussing kitchen tips with a friend of ours who yes. is an excellent cook. I would arguably say he was one of the most established cooks of our season of MasterChef last year in 2021. Um, he got into the competition with this beautiful refined duck and cherry dish mm. that I had the great fortune of trying because I actually cooked right next to Aaron on that fateful day. Oh, my gosh. And... It was definitely the kind of dish that would have been a grand finale winning dish and he made that in his first cook. Aaron is incredible and we are so fortunate to discuss kitchen tips with him uh, during our little guest interview today. I'm excited. Aaron is a wealth of knowledge uh, and he's so creative in the kitchen so I can't wait to talk to him. But before we jump into that, we do need to talk about this week's MasterChef experience. If you've been watching along and Sunday's elimination, it was a very interesting challenge. It whenever was an those, challenge. Oh, whenever <laughs> yeah, those sorry. black cloches come out, you know mm. that there's going to be a wobbly thrown your way. <laughs> and this was no different. They lifted up those black cloches and there was a single egg underneath that cloche. Mm. So what did they have to do with that one egg, Scotty? What was it? They they could cook whatever they wanted, but they only had one egg. So they had access okay. to the pantry, um, but obviously I guess there was 
wasn't any eggs in the pantry apart from that one. What would you do ah. if you had only one egg? If I only had one egg, I would definitely be making a boiled jammy egg. Um, Ooh, yeah. I saw what Aldo made and yes. I would I would lean in towards that direction of an egg served simply with some vegetables and a, and a, and a sauce or a dressing. Aldo mm-hmm. made asparagus with... Um, like a jammy egg and yes. um, I think he made like a banyacata t- style dressing, I, I think. Lots of anchovies. Lots of anchovies, yeah. Mm. <laughs> Yum. Um, yeah, I would lean it towards that direction or like a Caesar salad, which, um, fun fact, originated in Mexico. Mm-hmm. I never knew this. Yeah. It's it not Italian, re- everyone. No. Didn't come from Caesar? <laughs> no, 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 no. It's, it's a dish that originated in Mexico and um, mm. there's a whole story about it actually. I'll uh, have to refresh my memory um, and report back on what the story okay. is. But I would make a Caesar salad, so cos lettuce, uh, a beautiful dressing with anchovies, mm-hmm. uh, uh, some beautiful... Uh, I like to use whole grain mustard in my dressing for Caesar salad. Some beautiful croutons fried in bacon fat, uh, some bacon and um, a beautiful boiled jammy egg on top. Oh, yeah. Yum. It needs to be gooey. That's the that's the essential part. The egg yolk forms part of the dressing of the salad. So yes, that would be that would be something that I would love to make with one egg. Yum. Scotty, what would you make yes. with your one egg? What would you do? Oh, look, immediately I think of deviled eggs because I love a good deviled egg. Um, they're so delicious. Like you need to get that curry powder. I like to put pickle juice in my deviled eggs, chopped up gherkins, and the secret ingredient to my deviled eggs is butter. You need to whip some butter through that yolk mixture before you pipe it back into the egg mm. and then crunchy, crispy bacon on top and some chives. It is the ultimate. But I don't know whether that would – it's tricky with one egg because if I did deviled eggs, I'd only have one and I'd have two halves in this three judges. Yeah. So the one egg is actually really hard. Um it makes you think about how you can extend the use of that egg. So mm. if I didn't do deviled eggs, I would probably go to Chawanmushi. And Steph did yes. a Chawanmushi. Um, so she stole my thunder there. <laughs> but that's what oh. I would do because you only need that one egg and you can get yeah. quite a lot of volume out of the liquid. Um, the ratio to dashi stock and egg is quite good. So I would do a delicious Chawanmushi because there's nothing better. When custard is your set. default, it is rewarding. <laughs> oh, it's <a> custard, <laughs> isn't it? I'm going to vote uh, uh, the chawamushi, please. <laughs> I, deviled eggs, mm. for people that don't know what a deviled egg is, I'm, I'm oh, thinking of, yes. you know, out there, our partners, Adam and Andrew, you know, there are some things within a gastronomy that they have no idea what they would be. I don't know if Andrew would know what a deviled egg would be, but I know Adam would be like, what's a deviled egg? What do you Andrew think? Andrew loves uh, deviled eggs. Okay, but, well, he lives with you. 
Yeah, well, true. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not someone that's made them at home. I have been oh, involved really? in the making of about 160 deviled eggs a day when they were on the menu <laughs> at a restaurant I worked at over summer. But yeah. how would you describe a deviled egg to Adam Savage? <laughs> oh, so you need to get the, the cook on them perfect because you don't want the white to be rubbery. So you just mm. need to get the hard-boiled egg and then you scoop out the yolk and you whisk that up um, with whatever you want. So a good quality mayonnaise, um, pickle juice, chopped up gherkins, you can put capers in there. Mm. Um, I quite often like them nice and smoky, so I might do a smoked paprika in the mix. Like a curry powder is very retro. Um, the deviled eggs with just a standard run-of-the-mill Keens curry powder. A little bit of, of Keens. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. There is Keens in my house because of Adam and for no other reason. And I don't like sounding like a, a food snob, but I have I have some trauma associated with Keens <laughs> oh, no. from my childhood. <laughs> I've my, grown my up with a lot of Keens curry powder dishes. <laughs> oh, God. My stepmom isn't a fantastic cook and she won't mind me saying this because she knows. And um, <laughs> I, uh, look, there's 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 a memory of um, spam curry with Keen's powder, and I, I, it wasn't oh my it wasn't God, my favorite so thing. Good. <laughs> yeah, look, it wasn't my favorite thing as a child. I didn't really like it. Maybe if I had it now, I'd be more accepting because I'm a little bit more of a I don't know uh, tolerant eater. <laughs> Can I tell you, one of my guilty pleasures is spam. And mm. whenever I tell anyone that, I get a lot of strange <laughs> looks. Everyone says to mm. me, what on earth is a MasterChef doing eating spam? Uh, and I don't yeah. know what it is. Like I grew up eating it a lot, so I think there's a childhood memory of that. But I just love it. Like it's just mm. really fatty and like fried up with some yeah. fried eggs and some grilled tomatoes is <laughs> like such a good breakfast. But you know what is also really good mm. is a Korean fried rice with spam and kimchi. Mm. Okay. Like the ultimate. It is so good. So it's not something that I grew up eating a lot of or liking very much. I did try it. Um, I know that friends of mine who have particular cultural backgrounds, it's something they love. And mm -hmm. uh, I have had it done well. Mm -hmm. I, oh, well, well for me to enjoy because I'm, look, I suppose we're all allowed to be particular about things. There, Everyone has a certain penchant for certain, certain foods and some foods we do, like I don't like McDonald's. Going to put that out there, hate it. Okay. Um, you know, okay. you know how people say, don't yuck my yum. Well, I'm going to put it out there. There are some things I don't like. I don't like McDonald's. Anyway, when it comes to spam, I'm more tolerant because <laughs> I can appreciate that there are cultural uses for this product. Mm. And, um, I, so I went to an event a few years ago and, uh, one of the, the themes for a meal at the event. So it was the Australian Symposium of Gastronomy and one of the meals yes. was um, every single course was or themed around uh, the apocalypse. Okay. Oh, wow, so okay. It was, so I went to an apocalyptic dinner at the Australian Symposium of Gastronomy and one of the okay. courses included a spam uh, terrine. And <gasps> Whoa. Or, Oh, was it a spam yet? Either or, whatever it was, I can't recall. <laughs> it was like a it was like a little um, 
pate type thing. They'd okay. pimped up the okay. spam and pimped it was delicious. I wouldn't have known it was spam. Wow, anyway, there you go. Put that out there. Um, how did we get down a spam <laughs> rabbit hole? <laughs> We've gone really off track. We're talking kitchen tips today. Oh, my kitchen um, <laughs> I don't know we love tangents. We got there. How did we get there? How did we arrive here? Keens. Keens curry powder. Keens. Keens. My stepmum's spam curry made with Keens <laughs> is how we got there. Okay. Anyway. Uh, back on track. Back on track. Yep. Kitchen tips. We're talking <laughs> about eggs. I have some great kitchen tips for eggs. And I also have a really good book. So mm-hmm. I know we usually do book share a little bit later on, but maybe we should do a bit of a book share now. Absolutely. And I want to share an amazing tip that I found out just recently, actually, cooking hard-boiled eggs. The best way, I do not cook hard-boiled eggs ever again, any other way apart from this. And Mm -hmm. I'm very interested to see whether you have tried this. Mm -hmm. Hard-boiled eggs in the pressure cooker. Hard-boiled eggs in the pressure cooker. It has changed my life. Okay. So you just put a little like trivet at the bottom so the eggs aren't sitting on the bottom, so like a steam basket or something, like a cup of water. You want a bit of water in the bottom but not so the eggs are sitting in it. And then you just pile your eggs in. Like I've tried it with a dozen eggs and it works fine. I reckon you could probably like if you were cooking 120 eggs, you could probably like, you know, put maybe 30 in and have a pr- couple of pressure cookers <laughs> go. I haven't <laughs> tested this theory. Yeah. But lid on, four minutes, perfect hard-boiled eggs with just that perfectly set yolk. But the thing that the pressure cooker does, it it creates this steam pocket between the shell and the inside of the eggs. So when you go to peel the eggs, the shells just fall off. Because that's one of the things I hate about peeling eggs is the shells and they look messy and they're so hard to peel. Pressure cooker changed my life. I'm going to try this because I've always thought that the membrane uh, between the egg white and the shell um, is affected by the freshness of the egg. So This is true too? When I was working at this winery over summer, uh, one, of the, one of the courses one weekend included deviled eggs and yes. we did have to boil 160 eggs per service. Oh, my God. And... The chef would always be like, make sure you use the older eggs first because they'll be easier to peel. And yes. if the eggs were too fresh, you just couldn't peel them. Um, yeah. I'm interested. I have very fresh eggs to use because I have chickens. So I might give, give them a go. Test. I would mm. like to see with fresh eggs. I've tried them with both and I've had the same results. The steaming really? process just creates this little air pocket and they're so easy to peel. Uh-huh. Um, I've also got a tip on knowing whether your eggs are fresh or not. This is a great tip I always use for my eggs um, is that you put them in water. Have you mm-hmm. done this test? So is it, you If put it floats eggs, or something? Or? Yeah. So if they lie down, they're fresh. Mm. Um, you know that they're fresh, they're lying down in the water. If they stand up, they're old, great for hard-boiled eggs and other dishes like that where you need a bit of an older egg. If mm-hmm. they float to the top, throw them out. Oh, you can just crack into it and give it a smell. Oh, you could do that too. <laughs> <laughs> that should be an indicator of whether you've got a rotten egg. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. So they're my little hot tips for eggs. Mm. Yeah, if you got an egg, you got a meal, they're a great thing to be boiling weekly. 
I'm going to share with you uh, a little bit of a uh, cookbook share. Oh, what is um, this? This is To Asia With Love by Hetty McKinnon. She's a wonderful local writer. Ooh. And this cookbook is relatively new. I believe it's her newest. And there's a whole feature to do with eggs within this text. I love this. Mm-hmm. Um, can I read a little passage to you, Scotty? Yes. Okay. Do we need right. a backing track for this? We will need a backing track to this. <laughs> Let us know if you enjoyed our backing track from last week when we did our friends' recipe cooking reading. That yeah. was a fun rabbit hole. Yeah. And if you're watching on YouTube, you can see this beautiful image of eggs cooked uh, oh, yeah. to different times. And this is Hetty McKinnon's um, key to making perfectly jammy eggs. Ooh, you know, yeah. eggs with a yolk that is just, just set. So I'll read to you what mm-hmm. Hetty says. How to make a perfectly jammy egg. I never thought I would include instructions for how to cook the perfect boiled egg, but since this is a skill I have only recently mastered myself, I wanted to share it. For many years I was cooking eggs haphazardly, not really keeping an eye out on timings or when I added the egg to the water. Now I pay much more attention and the result is perfect jammy eggs every time. What are jammy eggs, you might ask? They are that sweet spot between a soft and a medium boiled egg, that point when the yolks have just solidified and become velvety. Jammy is how I prefer my eggs, but sometimes I will cook them for six minutes to get a a runnier yolk. For a slightly harder yolk, opt for eight to nine minutes. To make perfect jammy eggs, bring a deep saucepan of water to the boil. Place your eggs. I never remember to bring my eggs to room temperature for boiling, so I always use them straight from the Mm. fridge into the boiling water and immediately set your timer for seven minutes. When the timer goes off, drain them straight away and run under cold water. Keep the water running until the eggs are completely cold. Alternatively, submerge them in an ice bath. These instructions are for large 60 gram eggs. Mm. So that that is um, a hot tip from Hedy McKinnon. And before owning this book, I would never put eggs into boiling water because I believe that would result in cracked shells and mm. exploded egg, exploding egg whites. Yes. Uh, however, uh, it, uh, this method works. Put your eggs straight into boiling water and set your timer. Seven minutes for a perfect jammy egg. That's it. And oh, wow. I love um, this. I think if you're going to increase the volume of eggs um, and if you're using eggs straight from the fridge – things start to change a little because water temperature mm. changes a little. So you're going to get a little bit more, um, I suppose, uh, variability in your results. Um, I know that when we did boil 120, 160 eggs for service, so many eggs. sometimes it would take 12 minutes, you know, it would uh, wow. to get a hard-boiled egg. Um, anywho. I doubt you'll be doing that at home. So <laughs> I want to try it now. Well, 120 eggs. Hedy McKinnon's um, strategy, if you don't have a pressure cooker as well, for a jammy egg, mm. go for it. Try it. Do it. Um, I love a jammy egg on toast. Mm, sourdough, butter, a little bit of ch- tomato chutney and a jammy egg. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yum. Love it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. Scotty. Cool. I'm wondering what your cookbook shares are this week. So 
Along with eggs, there are some great cookbooks that I've looked at this week for our little book club segment. What I thought would be good to share as just a bit of a overall basic kitchen tips. And these are books that I actually use in the MasterChef kitchen a lot for learning some of the basics. So I thought I might share um, a few quick ones just to sort of show you. Um, this one Oh yeah, hello. A particularly good one for basic salt, fat, acid, heat. Your four main components of good cookery. Um, and it really goes through the basics of using those four elements in your cooking to create extraordinary dishes. And quite often, if you're missing one of these, you won't get the same results. Restaurants use these three of uh, these four methods or ingredients or what do you call these things? Tools, salt, fat, yeah, acid, yeah. and heat flavors um, to create beautiful dishes. So this is a highly recommended one. Um, another really good one, Otolinghi Flavor, is a great mm. one for just basics and, again, sort of talking about how to get flavor into your um, cooking, which is great. This one, this one was one of my favorite ones for MasterChef, um, Patisserie. It goes through all of the French classics and gives you very good guidelines in terms of recipes, how to make them, pitches, steps. Um, it's a really good basic understanding of pastry cooking. I saw that addition floating around a lot amongst um, people within the green room during MasterChef. Yes. Um, I don't have that one, Scotty. I'm wondering. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was probably one of two or three people that didn't have it. I'm wondering, oh um, could you tell us a little bit about what is wonderful about that addition for people that are mm. new to patisserie? And should I you, be buying it? You need this in your life for sure. Yeah. Um, I really like it because it um, all of these fancy pre uh, all of these fancy French pastry techniques that you've heard of. Um, it is a very reliable source. Like the the recipes, they work. Um, they're very well put together. It gives you a little bit of information about it. What I love is I'll see if I can share a picture. Hmm. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful graphics. Um, hard to sh hard to um, show because it's such a big book. Um, but like something like Diplomat Cream, um, mm -hmm. you've heard the term, you're not quite sure what it is. So it gives you a little diagram. It says what it is, um, the classic uses. So it's a pastry cream that's lightened with whipped cream and stabilised with gelatin. Um, the classic uses are filling for diplomat cakes, desserts, and small cakes. It tells you how long it's going to take to make, so 30 minutes to make. Any special equipment you might need, so it needs a whisk and a silicon spatula. Um, it says why it's better to use the cream immediately, so it gives you some tips on what to do and what not to do, which is great. Tricky aspects, it tells you that cooking the pastry cream is going to be tricky, the techniques you need to master, organization and storage, which is so important in cooking. Um, it gives you <laughs> photos of each step so you can see what it's supposed to be looking like. Quite often when you're following a recipe, you, that visual cue, particularly in pastry, is so important visually what that looks like. So it gives you the visual cues of what you're looking for um, and it steps you through each of those things. So it is such a good book. I would highly recommend it. I can't believe you don't have it. 
Yeah, do not have it. And I love the idea of having the time recommendations in there because sometimes I look at a recipe and I think, oh, I'm not going to do that. I don't have time for it today. But as soon as it says something like, oh, it will take 30 minutes. Okay, I've got 30 minutes. Sure, no worries. Yes. So that that would be a wonderful little addition within um, all cookbooks. If you're a cookbook writer and you're listening to this, I, as a reader, would like that um, in your book. (laughs) Now, we mentioned we would be talking to a wonderful friend. Let's launch into our chat with our friend, Aaron. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to our podcast. Oh, what what an entrance. Thank you, Scotty. (laughs) It's so nice to have you joining us for our third podcast. (laughs) What have you been up to? Pleasure to be here. How have you been? Uh, Good, good. Um, COVID has been a killer for us trying to launch into the food industry. So I have been working my day job still and just doing little food bits and pieces here and there, doing lots of learning. But the world is finally coming back to normal and South Australia's food scene is also doing the same. Amazing. So we just finished the beautiful Tasting Australia and I've got a few fun little things coming up after this now and got to spend a bit of time with some absolutely amazing chefs so yeah looking forward to uh moving forward with that how was tasting australia tasting australia was amazing i unfortunately didn't get to see too many events outside of town square but town square itself was epic so set up in the middle of the adelaide cbd And there's all different chefs and restaurants cooking, mainly over fire. Um, So the whole place just smells amazing through the whole city. Um, Literally walk in and you just float over to all of the beautiful food. Uh, Went and tasted probably three quarters of the uh, food available. (laughs) And rolled my way out. So, yeah, that was really good. (laughs) Oh, dear. What's... As someone from South Australia, what do you think is something that you cannot miss if you were to travel to Adelaide or South Australia more oh, yeah. broadly? Ooh. Is this launching our travel tips section? <laughs> oh, I think so. I mean, that's what I want to know. When I come to Adelaide as I'm visiting you, but what are we eating? Where are we yes. going and what are we consuming? Everyone says the Barossa and it's like, Oh, controversial. Barossa's great, don't get me wrong. But like everyone says that. Like you're going, you're having the wine, but there's so much other stuff to do. Um, Like we've also got the wineries down south. I think they're probably almost better. Mm. Um, Controversial, Mm. but they all have beautiful restaurants to eat in. So Matolo Wines, (gasps) that is an absolutely stunning winery. They've got like their whole, Scotty, you would love the design because Ooh, their yeah. restaurant is built with, I think it's 10 shipping containers. Oh, beautiful. And then is the most modern, beautiful dining experience inside. Oh, I love um, that. We have RK with Jake Kelly now <gasps> and that place is like mint. He is doing amazing things. It's a full fire restaurant. Amazing. Um, so they cook everything over fire um, and it's just like such a good time. But I would have to say, if you guys came, I would take you to Topiary Cafe. What's Topiary Cafe? I've not heard of this. Topiary Cafe is done by a chef, Kane Pollard, mm. and he has a complete no-waste philosophy. Oh, I love this. 
everything is used. He has a restaurant that is open seven days a week and uses one normal household wheelie bin of rubbish per week. What? Wow. That's impressive. Yeah. yeah. To put yeah. this into context for people who haven't worked in a commercial kitchen, one of the kitchens that I've worked in, we would have at least two buckets of compost, like buckets, like um how can I explain the size of these buckets? These are like recycle bin buckets. <laughs> That's wow. not a good size <laughs> indication. Plus minimum four garbage bins, full, minimum. And that's just from one day of lunch service. Um, and at, a, at another kitchen that I was working at, I was walking out with big polystyrene boxes of, of um, food waste to take home for my chickens um, yeah, that's crazy. Wow. Like after one one four hour shift, for example, because I was only there for mm. like little stints. But yep, wow, that's so yeah. cool. So it's I love epic. that. And like foraging, local produce, like everything on the menu, you know where it's come from. It is the perfect sustainability setup. So um, good. They're based in the nursery at the bottom of the hills. It's so unassuming, and it is one of the best dining experiences I've had. What have you eaten there? Oh yes! Oh, so they he had a carrot terrine <gasps> on the menu. Yum! With house uh, now, a house made whipped ricotta, mm-hmm. a fire roasted carrot terrine, and then carrot top granita. Oh, oh cute! Yum! Was the terrine and hot it was or cold? A uh, warm, mm. just warm, but it was like stunning. Could you? Like, it was just. Yeah. Carrot. Oh. Now, when you say carrot, for people that are like carrots, what's the big deal? Could you explain what makes the ultimate carrot terrine so exciting? I mean, mm. these aren't carrots from a $1 bag from Safeway. <laughs> no, no, like organically, beautifully grown. Like these are the, the funky, weird looking carrots. And I don't even know how they were put together, but they were in this like like stack of carrots that were kind of compressed together they held shape they were just set they're like jammy and they had no they were they were almost like the perfect um roasted carrot but all all together and then you had this amazing refreshing carrot top granita Mm. and then obviously the fatty um the fatty ricotta that just kind of tied it all together. Mm, vegetables. So if you're listening, <laughs> if you're listening, Maggie Beer, apologies uh, in relation to uh, our um, eliminating the Barossa from our itinerary <laughs> to South Australia. We love you, Maggie. <laughs> we would still, we would still go. Would still it go. just wouldn't be our first visit now. <laughs> Adelaide's expanded out of the Barossa as being the uh, food location of its of its. Known for. <laughs> I My favourite winery in South Australia is Elderton Wines. They make the best red wines. So good. Have you been to Elderton? I haven't. I don't, where is it? Oh, I haven't been. I need to go. I just drink it, but oh. I don't know where it is. <laughs> right, we'll be looking. We'll be looking that up. Right? We need That'll to go be, there uh, too. Let's add that to the list. Headed out, headed out there on the weekend. <laughs> oh, imagine that, Scotty, just being able to go out to the hills on the weekend. I mean, we probably oh, have no. similar locations within our states that provide similar joy, but I don't know. There's something about South Australia. There's something about Adelaide. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Everything is so damn close. Yes. Yeah. It's the best bit. 
So, Aaron, we are wondering if you could share with us your kitchen tips and tricks, your key tips or your key tricks that you think every home cook should be aware of um, according to your, I don't know, personal philosophy as a, <laughs> as a proficient home cook. Oh, yes. Well, perfect segue on from the beautiful highlighted produce mm. is stop buying your fruit and fridge from Coles. <laughs> <laughs> Again, controversial. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this, this podcast is not sponsored and we can discuss what we want. <laughs> Unfiltered. <laughs> yes. No, go to the markets. Mm. Like, go to the markets. Get, your, get what is seasonal. Get what is local. Get... Talk to the farmers, talk to the producers, find out what's coming, find out what's the best thing they've got at the moment. They will tell you, they love it. Um, but just getting that really fresh, perfectly in season produce makes your food so much better. Mm. It's why the restaurant food, well, it's part of the reason why the restaurant food tastes so good. Yeah. It is the best of the best. Mm. Um, and we all have access to it and it's normally cheaper. Um, so yeah, that's definitely my first tip. You 100% fresh ingredients, yep. uh, not from supermarkets. If you can help it, obviously there is things you need to get, but, mm. um, yeah, go to the markets. Plus it's fun, yes. but there's nothing better than going to the markets on a Sunday or a Sunday morning. Get your coffee, you're all rugged up, especially now. It's like the best time of year. Yes, <laughs> and you see what's in season. Like the, the stuff at the markets has been pulled out of the ground that morning or that night, um, and it's seasonal, it's local, and it's it's what's in season now. I think, you know, mm. in the supermarkets, everything is in season because it's been sitting in a fridge or it's yeah. it's been imported from somewhere else, and you really don't get that sense of seasonality by going to a local supermarket over the yeah. markets. You get that seasonality. What is tip number two? All right, tip number two for me has to be have fun. Yes. Like cooking is fun. Mm. Uh, I know I, I know people, you know, they say it's stressful and this and that. And, you know, we're all in the MasterChef kitchen and everyone's like, oh, how stressful must it be? Yes, there is moments where it's stressful. But the intention of us all being there is to have fun. And I think we did that. But at home, like cooking is so much fun. And it, I think it's what brings out my creativity. I think it's what helps me get the best dishes together. Yes. Um, you know, I put some tunes on, pour a glass of wine and cook away. Even if it's just like weeknight, weeknight dinner, like it makes the best meal I can make. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the whole fun of it. It's why we do it. Like yeah. it's enjoyable. It's, it's a release. I love that. And I, yeah, think, if you, I think sometimes people get a bit disenfranchised by cooking if they like, you know, maybe follow a recipe to a tea um, and at the end they don't like it. Um, you don't have to. Recipes are guides. <laughs> They're not real books. You don't have to follow it to a T. And use your taste. Have fun. And if it doesn't taste good, try something, add something to it. So I think a lot of people get caught up with following a recipe and then sometimes are disappointed by the end of it because it might not suit their particular taste. Um, so just being a bit looser with it, I think that's great advice in terms of enjoying it and having fun and experimenting. I love that. Yeah, that's it. Like you're supposed to have three meals a day. Like why not enjoy what you're having? Yes. Uh, it's not a chore. It's, it's fun and it's sustaining you. Yes. So yeah, the more you can enjoy it, the better. 
I was just going to ask Aaron, um, I don't know whether one of these five tips is going to cover um, some of the amazing dishes you made on MasterChef, but I know that you did some incredible stuff with game meat, kangaroo and duck. And we actually had a listener contact us this week, um, Saibun um, Raza. I'm not sure whether I'm pronouncing that right. I apologize. <laughs> um, but they've asked for some tips on cooking game meat because game meat is something that is quite difficult um, for a lot of people. They don't cook it very often. Um, and when that question come in, I thought, I know the perfect man for this job. <laughs> <laughs> I think that fits probably nicely into the have fun because yes. that's pretty much how I ended up cooking, you know, with kangaroo and duck and those dishes because it was just experimenting and enjoying it and learning as I went along. Yep. Um, but, you know, something like kangaroo, you've got to be comfortable with it being rare. It just needs to be rare. Yep. Um, it's so much better. Um, like a kangaroo fillet served, I think I was cooking them, I haven't cooked it for a little while, but cooking them to, I think it was about 45 degrees, and then you rest for twice as long as you cooked it. Twice as long. Um, it, really, it really wants that resting time. So hot pan, searing it hard, and then just allowing a really nice long rest so all those juices relax into the meat mm -mm. and then slicing it thin and just enjoying. I think that's a great tip. People don't tend to rest their meat very often. It's straight off the grill and straight onto the plate and go. Um, and it's very tempting. You want to just dig in straight away. But um, why do you think kangaroo needs that extra resting time? I think with it being so lean mm. and because you cook it hard and fast yep. that it it really wants to tighten up quickly. So if you cut it, obviously all those juices want to come straight out. Yep. So that double resting time just allows it to relax back, settle back down. You've still got the beautiful crust on the outside, but all those juices can just settle and you can feel it change. Mm. Like you can actually feel the, the meat change and it all just settle back in. And it will go from sort of like if you've cooked a fillet and it's a nice round shape, it will actually relax and almost create a flat bottom edge to it as it really rests back in. Mm. And it's just that's it's the simplicity of it, but it, it's so beautiful. My dear Maria once made kangaroo cutletta, like schnitzels essentially. Oh, that <laughs> would have been interesting. Mm. Oh yeah. Oh look, you can schnitzel anything. Adam makes um. <laughs> Venison schnitzels quite often, actually. Actually, you both will appreciate this. Last night, I dreamt that I was eating a venison Wellington. <laughs> oh. I feel like that would work really good, though. Yeah. Me too. A rare, I feel it, a venison wrapped with mushrooms and ham or prosciutto and then wrapped in pastry. In my dream, that it was very juicy delicious. and rare. Yum. So how long till we see this on the menu? Alex? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I don't know. I've never had this thought ever in my life, but I tell you, I was dreaming about it last night. Anyway. I want your dreams. Your, your dreams are amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look. Um, oh, my goodness. Yeah. I could go on, but we'll um, we'll come back to this at another time. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next tip. This is amazing. We're getting so many tips today. I love this. Taste is obviously Taste. my one of the other big things. Like constantly tasting throughout your cook is so important. And like you said, like you people have that tendency to stick to a recipe and they wait till the end to taste it, and they're like, oh. This is kind of a bit disappointing. Yes. 
Whereas if you tasted that the whole way through, you would know when something isn't right and, you know, you can add or, you know, adjust and season and all of those things that are really important for cooking, you can actually do throughout and then you end up with a 10 times better result. So yep. tasting is so crucial. Yes. And like you say, all mm. the way through, like once you get to the end, sometimes it's too late. Like if it's too salty, can't really fix it. Um, so yeah, it's that's so important. It. I'd love for you to yeah. set the scene, Aaron. What have you made recently where you've created that intention of I'm having fun and can you Ooh, yeah. describe how taste changes throughout the cooking of, of that thing that you might have cooked recently? Um, show Ooh. us or tell right. us right. in words Aaron in his home kitchen going through a, I don't know, fun Saturday afternoon, tasting as he goes. So I had been playing around with a very, very long and slow cooked broth, Ooh. a chicken, chicken and veg broth mm. that had changed iterations about four times during the cook as to what it was going to be. Oh. Uh, and it, the final version actually turned into the most luxurious consomme I've ever <laughs> made. It was like, it looks like a cup of tea. You oh, can, wow. So clear. There'll be a video up shortly. Yes. Um, it's coming out this oh, week. Oh, this is like yes. inside knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> but through the process, it was constantly building flavor. So it was constantly tasting. So I was sweating down the veg and I was tasting them as they were cooking through to make sure I was happy with the seasoning at that point. Uh, I was tasting the base stock. So I ended up putting a fire roasted wood chicken carcass into it. So I'd used the chicken Ooh, and yeah. I had basically a consomme ramen style dish at the end with wood roast chicken. But that carcass went in. So then that was retasting and balancing the seasoning. This cooked for three days. Oh. So there was three days worth of tasting, balancing, wow. and then getting it into this beautiful clarified stock. I actually didn't think it was going to work because when I was researching the uh, good rough techniques for this amount of stock, this is a, a, I think it's a 15 litre pot. Whoa. I, I was conscious that all of them said, this won't work if you've cracked the bones on your meat and if your veggies have been cooking for more than two hours. And I was like, well, we're at 36 hours oh, no. and uh, the bones were definitely cracked. Mm. They would have been like powder. It, oh, it was um, it like it was the most intense roast chicken cup of beautiful, clear tea like substance that I've ever had. And it was gone within three days because it was literally morning lunch night I was having some of this broth it was just insane that is amazing isn't it so I think there's something in the simplicity of some of those dishes that are so exciting I remember going one of my favorite restaurants in Queensland is the long apron um and one of their little courses was this clear consomme um and I remember it to this day it was years and years and years ago and like it's just essentially like a cup of soup but like the complexity and the flavors that you can get in something like that are wild. Um, and if you nail that, it is so memorable. It makes me think of um, the Willy Wonka, the, oh, yes. the, the lolly that's the five meals yes. and she turns into a yes. blueberry. 
That's what it makes me think. Like a, an amazing consomme makes me think of that every time because you look at it and you go, it's soup. Yeah. Like it's clear soup. What's so good about this? And then you taste it and you go, how the hell does it taste like <laughs> a chicken, roast potatoes and sauce all in one thing? Yes, but that's a great analogy. It's impossible. But it's there and you look at it and go, that just doesn't make any sense. And that's what I always go to that. I think oh there God. are very few dishes in this world that speak of home more mm. than more than a chicken broth or or a broth of any form really. It's when you've got a broth bubbling on your stove, you are cre- making your house a home, you are creating comfort, calm, you're relaxing the whole energy of the atmosphere and anyone who walks in your door is likely to say your house smells like heaven. That's, yes. It's 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 like a universal truth. It traverses all cultures. Chicken soup, broth. Mm, yeah. It is the best. I reckon you open the windows and you've got people flocking. Yeah. <laughs> now, I've got a question for you on this, actually, because I quite often go down simba, sim, similar rabbit holes, um, cooking for days, experimenting, trying this, adding this, um, and I start with a plan that I've written down and I add chicken scratch all over it, notes, change this, do this, do that. And in my head, I think I can remember this and recreate this dish. A couple of days later, I go back to have a look at my notes. I have no idea what I've written. And <laughs> I can never. And it was like the best thing I've ever made. And then you try and recreate it and you can never recreate it. Have you got any tips for like good note taking? Oh, Lou, I'm probably the worst person because I think I'm pretty much at the same level you are there, Scotty. I will make something and like go through 50 different iterations of it and then realize I didn't write one of them down and I'm like, cool. This was a one-time only dish. And sometimes I'm at peace with that. I'm like, I'm happy. Like I've experienced this. I know I'm never going to be able to experience it again and I'm just going to savor the moment. Yep. <laughs> Working on my capturing of uh, the good ones too. Can I offer a tip? Oh, yes, please. Yes. So I keep a section of pens with my cutlery. Oh, and that's a good idea. I have a little box of cue cards in the kitchen. And so oh. I can write on the cue card as I go. If I'm making a cake, for example, from a recipe book, but I'm making alterations, I'll write on the cue card exactly what I'm doing. And very likely I splatter stuff all over that cue card and then I have to rewrite it later. But um, then that gets filed into a little alphabetized box and we are organized. Oh, my goodness. I love mm. this. Mm. What a good idea. Cue cards. And um, you know, they're also great for studying if you happen to be in a competitive cooking competition. (laughs) 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 If you find yourself in that uh, situation, you can always just go to your little box at night and pick out your shoe and memorise those ratios. Anyway. That is so good. Yeah. Anyway, (laughs) what tip number are we up to? We've had shop locally, Uh, seasonally, have fun, taste. I believe we're up to number four. Yes. And this also is just a bit of a segue uh, from what we were discussing before, but resting meat. Mm. And I think when you said about the people, like, you know, you cook something and you're like, yes, this is ready to go. Like, I'm so excited. I just want to get into it. The difference it will make by letting it rest is tenfold. 
but everyone has this thought process that resting meat will make your food go cold. Yes. Mm. How do you stop that? How do you make it not go cold? Well, it's not technically true. (laughs) (laughs) If you've cooked something well Mm. and you put a thermometer into it, uh, perfect example, duck. So if you pop a thermometer into duck at finished cook temperature of 50 degrees, over that next 10 minutes, that internal temperature will keep rising. That's the whole reason why we're taking it off and giving it that moment to rest. You're letting it finish cooking. Now, how are we resting it? Are we just like, where do we put it? Do we put it on the bench? Do we put it on the stove? Do we wrap it up? Do we, what what do we do? I generally keep mine close to the stove while I'm finishing off everything Mm -hmm. else. So warm environment. But my meat is never cold Mm. because you're not resting for, like it's, it's got so much temperature in it already. It's not just instantly going to start going backwards. You've got all of that residual heat that's still doing its thing. and mm, Absolutely. Acknowledging Amazing. that residual heat I think is absolutely key. So if you're listening, that is what I reckon you really, 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 really need to make sure you're being aware of the next time you cook any protein. If you're cooking with fish, cook it to 80%. Yeah. Oh, gosh, I think I'm triggered because uh, my <laughs> elimination dish, that's exactly what happened to me. I cooked my fish to perfect eating temperature and then the residual, residual heat overcooked my fish and it sent me home. <laughs> oh, Scotty. <laughs> that's so okay. that's we'll a sore it. point. <laughs> Don't worry, I did the same thing with whiting. I was so excited for my dish and it was ready to eat and I remember Jock coming past and going, I hope you cook those pieces less than you did this one. And I was just like, oh, no. <laughs> oh my God. So cool. cool. Yeah, this That's is the thing. It's going to be a little overcooked. Yeah. We all have our, our good dreams and then we all probably have our PTSD dreams. But, um, <laughs> 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 oh, oh, dear. Those competitive cooking shows. So <laughs> tip number okay. five, Aaron. Tip, tip number, number five. five. <laughs> tip number five, sharp knives. Ooh, yes. Everett. The fear of cutting yourself with a sharp knife, you are more likely to hurt yourself with a blunt knife. Yeah. Because they do not go through the food. They slip, they slide. It's still sharp. Mm. It will still cut you, but it won't do its job properly. Mm. Plus, it respects the food better because you try and chop an onion with a blunt knife and you're just bruising it constantly. You're not actually cutting through it. So you're releasing all of its goodness before you even get it to where it's intended to be. Love it. Um, that's definitely my big one. My favorite tools in my kitchen are definitely my knives. I have a beautiful leather knife roll full oh, wow. of all of uh, my fun knives that I've gathered over the years and still gathering now. I'd say some are getting ready to rotate out and new ones ready to go in. Oh, yay. Fun. Yes. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love a good <laughs> knife. And it makes it easier to mm. cook as well. Like it, yeah. it makes it simpler. Like you're faster and quicker and easier. You, um, so it makes the whole experience more enjoyable, which is what we want. We want Absolutely. people to enjoy so cooking. More. You need the right tool for the right job. Yes. Mm. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> you have been told, listener. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Get I sharp think that's people. That's such good advice, mm. Aaron. Mm. You just are such an amazing creative cook um, and Thanks, have man. got such amazing practical advice for everyone as well. I hope everyone has learned something from this. I definitely have. (laughs) Mm. One of the reasons we wanted to have you on, I mean, we both admire you so much. Um, We got to know each other in a context where we really got to understand your talents. And 
I really pegged you as someone that would go all the way. What I'm wondering is, you know, since July last year when it all wrapped up, you know, I'm wondering, have you... You mentioned earlier COVID has been an inhibitor in relation to, you know, being able to live your dream. Um, MasterChef pegs itself as a show where you can go forth and live your food dream. But what I'm wondering, you know, what's your take on what it actually takes to live your food dream? You know, we've we've had this opportunity to have a bit of a platform from which to go forth and, and um, indulge. But... Um, yeah, I'm wondering from your perspective, you know, what what does it take to to live your dream? I think probably one of the big things is it's certainly not a free ride. Mm. Going on there doesn't automatically turn you into a chef, nor does it uh, open every single door in front of you that they're begging to get you into kitchens. Um, it does give you some exposure. But you still have to do all of the hard work and you have to do a lot of sacrifice to get there. Um, we put in a huge amount of hours into Heaps Local, my best mm. mate and I, and that took a toll because we got so burnt by COVID mm. um, to the point we actually have it all on hold at the moment uh, with maybe a return date next year once everything is really back up and running. But, you know, we had, I think, in a matter of a month, nine different things cancelled and couldn't film because we didn't have the equipment to film with masks on. So you couldn't hear anyone. So everything had to stop for us promoting South Australia. Um, the events we had cancelled were really tough. But, you know, you had to put in that work to get there. So it's it's certainly not just a... You know, I've been on a cooking show. I've got a free ride mm. to the food world now. You still have to do all of the work. Yeah. What about you, Scotty? It's your, have you had a similar? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's a hard road. Um, mm. And we're all super passionate. Um, there's really no such thing as a free ride. And if you want something, you've got to work hard to achieve it. It's a tricky industry um, to get into. It's very, very competitive. It's hard work. And, you know, COVID has just really impacted the hospitality industry, something chronic. Um, so it's not the most ideal um, environment. I, I remember when we finished MasterChef last year, we all sort of came out and we went into various degrees of lockdowns and no one could leave their city. I'm up in Queensland, isolated. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no one can travel. Um, so, you know, it's it's been hard. I think um, it would be a different experience had the dreaded COVID not been around because we could have travelled and collaborated a bit more. But, you know, I think from... Um, from challenges comes opportunity um, and, you know, it makes you think more creatively. That's it. You had to fit, find other creative ways to keep doing things mm. um, and to keep sort of your focus going, especially when, with all the lockdowns because, you know, like I said, being able to go get all the beautiful fresh produce and do all of those things, that wasn't happening. No one was – there were no markets. Yeah. There were none of that happening. So – how do you get access to that if the world is shutting down around you? Exactly. Absolutely. And I would like to add that you don't need to go on a competitive cooking show to live your food dream. Um, no. Heaps of people that I know have done a 180 and left various types of careers in engineering or law to go and do something in food. Um, so, 
you know, MasterChef can make things a little bit easier. Sometimes it can make things a little bit harder. There have definitely been doors that have been shut for me that were wide open before even going on MasterChef. <laughs> but, um, you know, I've got friends who I went to law school with who now have an olive oil business. Um, one of my friends who I'm meeting today, we're going to uh, make some El Salvadorian uh, baked goods together. He decided to become a baker during COVID. Anyway, you never know. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> um, Aaron, well, that before... Is how our, yes. That's how our mushroom supplier, mm. uh, good old Westside Mushies, he can have a shout out here because he's an absolute legend. Um, but that's how he came about mm. turning into Adelaide's mushroom supplier. It was literally COVID and he started watching YouTube videos and chased the rabbit and next minute he's made growing mushrooms in his spare bedroom and providing them to like the best restaurants in Adelaide. Oh, God, I love that. He sounds like a fun man. So, <laughs> oh, he very much is. <laughs> oh, dear. Now, before we wrap, Aaron, something that Scotty and I like to do uh, with our uh, podcast is have a show and tell segment. So I'm wondering if you've got anything to show and tell. Um, oh, we've never done uh, this before. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to know um, what fun toys or what fun things you've been up to. I do I have my I have a couple of beautiful knives here uh, that I wanted to show and tell. So this this first knife I've got, I'll show it to you guys. I have to describe it. This was the knife that I got for my thirtieth birthday. Oh, that is it's possibly my favourite knife. So it's a good six years old now. It gets a regular maintenance on it, um, but it's got an antler handle, wow. a deer antler handle. Um, and it is super, super thin. And this is the knife I use for all of my fine knife work. Um, it's absolutely stunning. But I recently got gifted a beautiful knife from uh, some friends in Adelaide, Big Red Knives. And they made this absolutely stunning Aussie design knife. Oh, this one's called the Wombat. The Wombat. It's got a little Wombat. Yeah, it's got a little Wombat on oh. there. And it's a, it's a heavy cutter, this one. It's a bit of a general sort of all purpose, but it's very well weighted. It's quite a heavy knife and it is absolutely stunning. It does such a good job. What's the handle made out of? your favorite knife. So it's got wood and then it's resin. Oh, wow. But it's to represent uh, the Australian earth. So they've got a whole series of knives that all are named after native Australian animals. Um, the crocodile is my favorite because it's the serrated knife. So they've done it like crocodile teeth. Sick. Is very cool. That is awesome. Um, but yeah, they're they're absolutely beautiful knives, and they're just sort of kicking off their starter on it. But it's possibly my well, it's my new favourite tool. <laughs> it is being used pretty much for everything, um, and it does everything, which is the best bit. So it's making cooking faster and easier for me on a daily basis. It's oh my gosh, gorgeous red it. resin. I love it. The the blade itself, Aaron. Do you know how many <laughs> centimeters? <laughs> do you know how many centimeters it is? Now, I think... It's not a long 20-centimetre chef's are, knife. It's um, a bit shorter. No, no, no. I think these are about 15 or 18 centimetres. Mm. Um, it's, it's a little short, fatty one, mm. um, but it's nice and thick. Like, it's probably about half a centimetre through, like, through the back of the knife, wow. um, and it's got plenty of weight to it, so it goes through everything. Cuts a pumpkin in half like it's going through hot butter. The only concern is every time I'm cleaning it to make sure I'm very, very careful. My one knifing injury was literally cleaning my knife mm. 
and I took nearly the top of my finger mm. off and it was like that movie sound where you can hear like the shh. That was bad. Tip number six, you get six for the price yeah. of five. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Be careful when cleaning your knives. Yes. Yeah. While sharp knives are great in the kitchen, they're very dangerous in the sink. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Don't put them in the sink, 100%. guys. Just leave them on the yes. bench, wash them individually and place yeah. them gently onto like a tea towel. Don't even put them on a, on a drying rack because you probably dent no. them. Mm, don't ever put your knives in the dishwasher. No. Oh, ever. Never. Mm. Anyway, <laughs> thank it. you so much, Aaron, for joining us. It was lovely thank to talk about me, Adelaide with you and your yes. knives and your kitchen tips. I'm looking forward to when we do get to play and eat with you soon. Um, we're going to have to book something in. Let's not yes. promise. We promised in episode one we'd do our next podcast in Paris. So let's not promise <laughs> episode four is going to be in Adelaide. But how Adelaide good would is, that be? Adelaide is closer. <laughs> I could even drive. <laughs> oh, <laughs> could mate. you imagine in my little Fiat? We'd get there in five days. <laughs> <laughs> I might be coming your way, guys. Yeah, come yeah. to Queensland. Come to Melbourne. I have yes. venison in the in the freezer oh. at all times. <laughs> I'll cut, I will be there for a venison Wellington. Yes. I want to see this. I look forward to it. Well, thank you so much, Amazing. Aaron. Thank you so much. Have an amazing Thanks, day. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Bye. You too. Talk to you see soon. Ya. Bye. See ya. Bye. I love Aaron. Oh, he's so good, isn't he? Wonderful He's just man. an amazing cook. And that knife was stunning. I oh, want one. Me too. Can I tell you something funny? Yes. Uh, when I cooked with him in Apollo Bay, this didn't make the edit on the show, but when, <laughs> yes. we, were in a, when we were in a team together, I accidentally kept calling Aaron Adam throughout the whole challenge. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Well, they're, they're both equally lovely, so I can understand Yeah, both that. lovely. One's my romantic partner in life and one's a friend. <laughs> God. Anyway. Maybe, a, maybe a bigger difference there, but moving uh, on. Moving on. Moving on. Show and tell. Show Aaron's and tell. given us his show and tell. What's your show mm. and tell for today? Yeah, so my show and tell uh, aligns somewhat with uh, okay. Aaron's discussion of seasonality and the importance of cooking what is seasonal. And yes. My show-and-tell is a three-part show-and-tell. I am going to share with you, Scotty, uh, what I will be making uh, via showing and telling uh, for my birthday cake next week. Oh, my goodness. I always actually get asked this question, like, Mm -hmm. do you make your own birthday cake or do you get someone else to make it? I think we're both control freaks. I don't let anyone else make my birthday cake. I would allow for (laughs) the purchasing of a cake from Beatrix, which is the best cake shop ever. And um, I'm very fortunate to live quite close to that particular cake shop here in Melbourne. Um, However, in the past, like, no one's ever bought me a cake before. What? You know, no one, no. It's it's generally someone, mum makes the cake, someone makes the cake, or I make a cake. Adam, if you're listening, you're allowed to buy me a cake, but it just has to be from that particular shop. Anything from that one <laughs> shop. <laughs> Hot Please tip. don't get me a supermarket mud cake. I'll feel unloved. <laughs> I shouldn't say that because supermarket mud cakes are pretty good. Like, but me personally, I'm just saying, me personally, I sound like the biggest food snob in this episode, but I would feel personally unloved. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's Elise's hot tip for buying her birthday cake. <laughs> um, in the intro.
interest of loving myself, I'll be making my own cake. Okay. Uh, for my 30th. And I have chosen to make from Scott Pickett's Marriage of Flavours the Ooh, yes. mandarin and lemon verbena cake. Oh, yum. Mm-hmm. Mandarin and verbena. Hello. Yes. So this is a very seasonal recipe because mandarins are in mm. right now. They're at their prime. Uh, my favourite mandarin is of the Allendale variety. They are a sharp Ooh. mandarin. So if you see them, they're not an easy peel, but they're a delicious mandarin. Tighter, tighter skin. Um, uh, more difficult to peel, but more rewarding flesh. Mm, and okay. uh, within... This book, I'm going to quickly tell you about why this book is a great book. There's a flavour map in this book, Scotty. I don't oh, know if I you, love you a own good it. flavour map. No, I don't. It, it has a mind map with vocab associated with texture, sweetness, mm. sourness, bitterness, spiciness, saltiness, umami and temperature mm. and how to achieve um, uh, diversity when it comes to flavour and all of those other wonderful words. It is amazing. So if you're looking on YouTube, you can kind of see I'm holding up the book. I'm holding up the book. This is the oh, mind yeah. map, flavor map. And then in preceding pages, there's also a seasonal uh, ingredient list. So in autumn, mandarins are in their prime. So they are included within the category of autumn produce. Um, I love that. Now, I'm also going to show you what I need for this cake because the reason I'm making this cake is because I went to the Mount Zero olive oil factory the other day mm-hmm. and they had mandarin pressed olive oil available. <gasps> what? And I have never been able to find this before no. and it is an ingredient to this cake. No Scott, way. I've never yeah. heard of it. Yeah. Scott Pickett's mandarin cake includes mandarin pressed olive oil. Because I found it this week, I am making this cake for my birthday. Um, here is a mandarin also in my hand <laughs> <laughs> for my three-part show and tell. So um, this Mount Zero, is incredible. thank you for making this wonderful product so I can make this cake actually happen. Um, this isn't sponsored this? content. This is just me loving <laughs> this particular olive oil brand. It's um, a local Australian olive oil brand. Scotty, when you come to Melbourne, um, we can get your hands on some mandarin I, olive oil if you'd like. I definitely need to. Mount Zero do a yuzu pressed olive oil mm-hmm. and I am obsessed with it. It is oh, so yeah. good. And so I'm just imagining what that mandarin pressed olive oil because the flavour they get through the yuzu and the olive oil is exceptional. Oh, yeah. And somehow oh, yeah. it's really fresh. Like it's like you're eating fresh yuzu, mm-hmm. even though it's just like, I don't know how they do it. It's witchcraft. Well, um, I bought a bottle too. Mandarin. <laughs> oh, good, good. Put it on everything. <laughs> I, I've i been told to make a kingfish ceviche and to dress it with the yuzu olive oil. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. So I bought a bottle of that, but I bought a goon bag of the mandarin pressed olive oil <laughs> because I plan Good. on making a, like a large cake with at least 800 mils of this olive oil in it. I'm going to do it in a huge sheet tray. Yeah. I got plans. I love it. <laughs> mm-hmm. oh. This is amazing. Yes. That's my show and tell. Scotty that's Bagel. your show and tell. Ooh, okay. Well, I have my show and tell here and I'm sticking like on brand or theme. I, I have a box. He's got a box again. What's in the box? (laughs) I like that. I'm I'm really enjoying this part of it. Um, Mm -hmm. And you guessed mine last week. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm hoping you're not going to guess this one. Um, My clue is it's also seasonal and it's in season right now. 
Um, and I will tell you, like this box, like fits sort of in my hand. It's a medium-sized box, and there's two of these things in this box, and it's All sort right. of like they're almost filling this box. Hmm. I need another clue. I would like to know if it's edible. It's definitely edible. Okay. And is it a fruit? It is a fruit. Uh-huh. And have you had to get it shipped in? Like it's in a box. I'm wondering what you've done this week. You've you've <laughs> ordered something online maybe. <laughs> it, uh, actually, this is like not the box that the the thing came in. I've just okay, okay. randomly found this box <laughs> and put them in. <laughs> um, I ask this, dear listener, because Scotty uh, is is quite known to order in copious amounts of random things from all around Australia. Uh, I do. I, yeah, yeah. I, I rang him once and he was like, "Elise, I just ordered these strawberry gum branches from Melbourne." Like, what do you mean you ordered branches? Like, yeah, a truck full arrived. I'm like, what? <laughs> yes, I did that happen. And, oh, my God, that was a whole strawberry gum experience. I still have them everywhere. I've dried them. I've frozen them. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, dear. Mm, so what is in this box? Is it a, cu- no, a custard apple? I'm going to put that out into the world. Ooh, that's a good guess, but it's not a custard apple. Okay, bon bon. what is it? What is it? It is. Look at these gorgeous things. They look so amazing. Quince. Quince. <laughs> Look at that. Yeah, they're, they're so weirdest thing. pretty. Mm. So yes, quince. quince. I love quince, but they are quite a difficult fruit to cook. I remember yeah. on MasterChef, um, was it like the final episode, the finale, <laughs> it where was. Pete drew this out. I think his two girls had to like pick something out of a bowl and he got quince. Mm. I immediately felt sorry for him immediately. Yeah. Because there's a time constraint in the MasterChef kitchen and quince typically is a, would we call it a fruit? It's an orchard fruit, isn't it? I think it's a fruit. fruit. Um, It's typically something that you have to slow cook. And it's something that requires time in order to be a beautiful jammy product. It's mm-hmm. It can be gritty and grainy if you don't cook it for long enough. And, yes, I immediately felt sorry for him. I thought he'd been really Such stitched hard, up. Such yeah. Mm. Quince, I think, can be served in a savoury context really nicely as well. Um, one yes. of my favourite dishes I've ever prepared, which was actually, this is a fun fact. There's a lot of MasterChef talk in this particular episode, Scotty, but here we are. <laughs> I know. And um, my intended main course for the semi-final in which I was eliminated was actually <laughs> a pochetta. Okay, seasoned with yes. um, a variety of herbs and spices, including some wonderful Native Australian um, ingredients as well, served yep. alongside a ridiculous salad and quince. Oh, you know how yum. you would have the sweetness from a roasted apple alongside yes. pork or, or applesauce with pork? The idea yep. of the quince was that you would get the sweetness um, from that product and it was seasonal at the time because it was oh. autumn during filming. So pork, quince and ridiculous was my intended my intended main course with a um, a condom dressing, condom and citrus dressing on the ridiculous salad. I think I might yes. do a brown yes. butter tart. Um, with Earl Grey tea and poached quinces. Ah. I think that could be really good, that quince and Earl Grey tea. I use tea a lot in cooking. 
Yeah, Earl Grey um, poached quince sounds beautiful. Mm. I'm interested to know how it would work, like yes. how the flavour would eventuate. Mm. Stay tuned. That might be my show until next week. Yeah, don't check out the syrup. That sounds like it would be yum no. too. Yes, yes. I could just make that into a cordial with some soda water yes, yes, and yes. maybe like a bit of gin. Yeah, a beautiful. A bit of a quince and uh, Earl Grey gin kind of cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> I think like we fun. need to do drinks next week. Let's do drinks next week. Oh, yeah. Leisurely beverages. Leisurely bevies. Mm. <laughs> tea, tea and cocktails. Why tea not? Tea and cocktails. What about cocktails from a teacup? <laughs> oh, 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 yeah. <laughs> That's a thing. That's a thing. Oh, we could invent yeah. that. No, 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 it's like no, a it's mule. a thing. It's definitely Is it a done. thing? Yeah. Oh, someone's already done it? Yeah, ah. it's a thing. It's totally a Damn thing. It. There's a, um, a shop called Milk the Cow that only serves <laughs> cheese and wine and some of their cocktails are served in teacups. So I it's definitely happening down this. here in Melbourne. Mm. Okay, I love it. <laughs> yeah. Well, is that a wrap this week? Are we done? I believe so. If you have any requests or uh, any feedback... Yes. Please get in touch. I love it. Tune in next week for some more thoughts, tips and tricks. On cream, eggs and jam. (laughs) (laughs) Have a good week. Happy baking. Oh, yeah, that's right. Enjoy your time. Enjoy your life. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Oh, my God. (laughs) <laughs> One day we'll practice our outro Work out what we're going to say <laughs> We have to work it out We all have to work it out Oh my god You've been listening to Cream, Eggs and Jam I'm Elise Pulbrook And you can find me on Instagram At Elise underscore food person And I'm Scott Bagnall And you can find me on Instagram At SS Bagnall If you'd like to send us your show and tell You can email us Scotty and Elise At gmail.com Or if you'd like the visual experience of this podcast, you can find us on YouTube at Cream Eggs and Jam. Have a great day. Happy baking.